Welcome to Employing Differences, a conversation about exploring the collaborative space between individuals. I'm Karen Gimnig. And I'm Paul Tevis. Each episode, we start with a question and see where it takes us. This week's question is, where did that come from? So about four years ago, I was at a retreat for 10 days uh, where part of the, the purpose of this was to sort of build some intentionality around the community we wanted to create together in the 10 days that the 60 or so of us were going to be spending time together. There was skill building that was going on, but there was also a lot sort of about relationships and how we wanted to be together in a way that would foster the skill building and the, and the relationships that we wanted to create. And so one of the things that one of the facilitators did uh, during the first day was talk about different systems that exist and different structures that exist in organizations and, and communities. Um, so these are things like systems for decision-making. How do we decide what we're gonna do? Systems for, uh, for information uh, sharing. How does information get to people? Who knows what? Uh, systems for, uh, for learning and for feedback, for conflict, for resource allocation, deciding who gets what. And then the really important point that got made was if we do not have conversations about how we want these systems to work, we will inherit the default from our larger cultural context. So if we don't actually talk about uh, how we're gonna resolve conflicts or how we're gonna work through decision-making, then we'll just fall back on whatever our larger cultural experience and or our larger surrounding uh, co cultural context is which may not get us the result we want in terms of the community or the type of organization that we want to be. And so uh, Karen and I were talking about this and we wanted to explore a little bit today how we sort of get these things, these things sneak in the door, the, the idea of where did that come from? What are the things that we unconsciously end up importing into groups, into teams, into organizations? Um, and what might we do about that if we don't want them there? Uh, and, and so the premise here is very much that an awful lot about how we show up with each other, how we talk to each other, how we do things together, what we might call our community culture or organizational culture, an awful lot of that arrives with us unseen, unnoticed, unthought about. It just shows up there. And then something isn't going as smoothly as we'd like, or our team isn't working as well as we'd like, or whatever, you know, conflict is showing up in ways we didn't expect. People are behaving differently than, well, different than I thought they were going to behave. <laughs> um, and, and we're like, where did that come from? And, and where it came from is it rode right along with us because when we walked in the door, we brought our mainstream culture with us. And if we don't really actively pay attention to what we're bringing, we don't notice how it's coming along until it causes a problem and maybe not even that. We don't notice what we're bringing. And so we thought that we might just play with this idea around cultural norms, around giving and receiving. Because this is one that I see a lot in communities where we show up in community telling ourselves that we want to be a place where we share things, where we do things for each other, where we're very collaborative. And then, we start keeping track of who's contributed the most or who has done this the most, or we bring in mainstream norms around, it's not okay to ask for something. 
it's great to give something. It's great to help somebody else, but I should only ask for something if I really, really need it. And so you get all of this sort of tag along baggage around giving and receiving that in fact inhibits the flow of shared stuff, shared ideas, shared favors, that this thing that we think we're gonna get when we move into community. Or I think as a corollary, if we come into a collaborative team where we think things are gonna flow and ideas and pieces of work and you know, here's a thing that I built that you can use too, we don't get that sharing flow because we brought with us all of this baggage around, I shouldn't ask, I'm, you know, if, if I receive, I'm the poor, weak, incapable, incompetent one. Um, and we only want to be in the role of a giver because they're so wonderful and generous and fabulous. And all that stuff lives below the surface, right? We, we, when we don't realize we're carrying it with us, we don't realize we're bringing it because we don't realize the degree to which it is affecting our behavior. Um, you know, we talked uh, in, in a recent episode about how do I do something different, right? How do I change behavior? And we talked a lot about, hey, these are unconscious patterns and habits that you've carried with you that you have. Um, and, and so I think the, the first step to that is always to the like, is the making it conscious? So I, you brought up the example of sort of collaborative teams, right? Which is a thing that, you know, I do a lot of work with. And I know you, you know, do a lot of work in community. And that idea of, um, that it's mutual without being reciprocal, right? It's not a tit for tat. It's a case of we're we're all contributing to this in a way that we're not keeping track of. And when we don't do that, it doesn't work very well. And we don't realize how much we are keeping track of it <laughs> until we start to have the conversation about it. And so one of the things that's useful, right, when you're starting to uncover as a group, like, what are the things that we don't want to bring with us? Um, it is sort of thinking about, well, how might those show up? Like, how would we notice that they were here? Um, in, you know, in, in collaboration, for example, it's very easy to say we want to be collaborative, right? And, and we think that because we've set that intention, it's just going to happen. But I think it's very useful to explore in the group. So when we say we want to be collaborative, what would that look like? Like, what would we be doing? And how would we notice if we weren't doing it? And then start to tease apart, well, what are, the, what are the things, what are the unconscious assumptions or beliefs or things like that that might fuel the behaviors that are gonna pull us away from that? So that's often a place when we go, when I work with groups and we're trying to create, a, in, in a lot of ways, an explicitly counter-cultural space. We have to actually talk about what are the elements that, that we don't want to inherit from the larger culture, how will we how will we know that they're showing up, and what do we do when they start to? Because they will. Yes, they will. Yeah, and and to follow with the the sort of giving and receiving element in that, and there are many others, but just to keep us within one episode time frame here, um, <laughs> I I think to really be thinking about. Okay, so if I look over the last week and think about all the times that my life or my work could have been easier if somebody else had fill in the blank, you know, covered for me for an hour or taken me somewhere or loaned me a thing that they had or, right, that you could give along. But what are, what are the ways in which my life, my work would have been easier, smoother, better, even only for me? 
we're not measuring this by good for the team at this moment, but ask myself the question, what are the ways over the last week that my life could have been better if this other thing had happened, if someone else had done a thing for me? Mm -hmm. And of those, how many did I ask for? And if the answer is almost none of them, which on the average day would be my answer, (laughs) um, (laughs) to get really curious about what's going on in me, Mm -hmm. that what are the stories I'm telling myself about what it means to ask for a thing that would help me. And I wanna differentiate most of us within some kind of relationship context get reasonably good at asking for things we really need. Or there are certain categories of, you know, can I borrow a pencil? We don't really think about that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, the neighbor's cup of sugar is the classic example, right? But there are certain things that are, for whatever the reason, okay in the mainstream culture. But, it, but as soon as we step outside that box, what are the stories that start to come up? And, and I find they have a lot to do with individualism, the I can take care of myself and what's wrong with me if I can't, or greediness. I, am, I, I will be perceived as greedy if I ask for things, selfish if I ask for things, demanding if I ask for things. Um, there's a huge vulnerability in asking for a thing because you know they might say no, and then I'm disappointed, and what does it do to the relationship? Like All of that mess gets in there. And so if I can identify all of those for me, like what is the thing that for me, what is, what is the story that's my particular, most of us have a favorite, I'll just say, but maybe all of that resonates, but most of us have a favorite. And, um, and then if I ask myself, okay, so that's the story I'm telling myself. If I ask Paul for a thing, how would I feel about Paul asking me for that thing? What would I want him? What would I want his story to be that he's telling himself as he's sitting over there wishing I could do that thing or a similar thing for him. What would I want him to be thinking? And what I always get to is, I love it when people ask me for things. I, I love it when I have a chance to help. And, and of course, if I am able to say no, that's another episode of if you, if, if you, if, if when you ask, there needs to be a, a genuine possibility of yes or no. And when you answer, there needs to be a genuine possibility of yes or no. But an awful lot of the time, a thing that would help me a ton costs Paul a tiny bit. And that that trade is a net win over and over and over again. And if we're not trying to keep track and we're not trying to keep score, the benefits add up dramatically. And we tend to see that pretty well, at least I do, if I'm being asked for something. But I don't ever do the asking because it's uncomfortable in all of those ways. So I think there's this point to really think about this giving and receiving dynamic. How have I been playing out in that? What's going on in me? And then what if that was going on in the person across from me? What would I want there? And one of the things that you're sort of pointing to there is recognizing the stories that are there. And then, and then what are the different stories we could tell? Like, how can we transform those stories? And story and narrative is a huge part of culture. Um, because in, in organizational cultures, certainly in community cultures, right, that um, there is that deep level of culture, which is this, uh, the unconscious, unspoken 
beliefs and assumptions about what works, right? What works either for producing the result we're trying to create or the kind of, uh, or, or the kind of group we want to be. Um, and so we tell ourselves these stories about what works and what doesn't, and that's all based on our past experience. Um, and then in order to change what we're doing, to change the behaviors in that, in that culture, the, you know, as we actually see them, we actually have to start to shift those beliefs and those understandings and those assumptions about what works and what doesn't. But it requires us to examine them first and then to kind of put them out for us as a community to, and as a group to work with. Because, because there is a gap between the things that we say are sort of espoused theory of how things work. And then the, the unconscious theory that we're actually working from when we actually do it. And that's, it's that incongruity that we see both in individuals and in, and, and in groups as well. And it's not hypocrisy. It's actually that we just don't realize that the models we're talking about, the way we talk about collaboration or sharing or working together or giving and receiving, we can say one thing and then do another. And it's because of the unconscious stories that we have that are at odds with the, with the words that we use, with the way we talk about it. So how can we start to bring those into more congruity, right? So that we can actually start to shift the unconscious stories to be something that more matches the words that we use when we talk about how we want it to be. And this is something you're talking about it in the frame of an individual working on it, which absolutely the individual work has to be there. And particularly if we are in a group that is largely from the same mainstream culture. This breaks up some if you get folks from very different sort of background cultures. But when you're in a largely similar, largely homogeneous group in terms of the culture they came from, the tendency is we've all brought the same baggage. We've all brought that same set of sort of misaligned incongruous culture bits with us. Mm -hmm. And so there is a particular courage that's required to be the first one that says, okay, we've named this as our value. Like we've said, this is a place where we do things for each other. To, but to be the first one who puts out on the listserv or the Slack channel or whatever and says, hey, can anybody do this thing for me? That takes real courage, mm -hmm. but it is the place where the culture shift begins. Mm -hmm. And if you want others to ask or, you know, any kind of culture shift, but we're talking about this one as an example, but if you want that culture shift to begin, when one person does the really vulnerable thing and they survive and they, and in fact, that people respond, it's like, oh, that, our culture, that thing that in, in the mainstream culture wasn't okay. And, and maybe even I read it and I'm like, Paul's asking for what? Oh, it's totally fine. Great. It feels good that Paul's asking for yeah. like, oh, <laughs> all of my little alarm bells from outside culture are saying no, but when I look around within this culture, yes. And that's, I think, how that shift kind of spreads. But I really want to name how scary and vulnerable it feels when you're the first one in the pool. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely the sort of thing where if you want that to continue to shift and spread, you need to point at those examples of people taking those risks of being vulnerable in ways that the, the thing you have all said you want is actually being embodied. 
and and encourage it right it's like the worst thing you could do is is to respond negatively to that to uh to to because their person is afraid that it's not going to go the way that you're all hoping it's going to go and they're all of their prior experiences telling them it's not going to go the way that you're hoping it's going and when it does and when they are when they are thanked for taking that risk when they are rewarded for being vulnerable in that way that is the thing that starts to shift our understanding at least in this group right because that's often the thing about these sort of small cultural shifts is okay maybe i fully believe that the larger culture that i came from the organization i used to work at the like that's never going to change it's always going to be a place where it's always better to give than to receive where you can never ask for what you need but i might start to come to believe that here amongst these people amongst this group this is different and so because of the interactions that I have had that I have seen here, and so I can start to tell two different stories. There's the story of out there and elsewhere and the story of here. And that allows me to actually live into that, that more collaborative, that the giving and receiving uh, culture uh, that we say we actually want here. Yeah, it, and I think that piece of noticing and appreciating the vulnerable behavior and I can think of times that I have said to someone, I am so glad you asked me for that. I actually can't do it. <laughs> I actually can't help you. <laughs> the result is I can't do it. But I'm so glad you asked me. Please ask me again the next time. Like, I'm not available to, that day or whatever the thing is. But the difference just between a flat no and a no, but it's a, absolutely a safe place to ask is huge in the culture shift. Because if all you get is the no, of course, then you don't know is that because it wasn't actually okay to ask is that somebody mad at me i mean there's all sorts of layers of that so being thoughtful of ooh, somebody's doing something different in this culture let's think about how we want to respond to that because that cultural feedback that we get is actually way more powerful than any rule we're going to write or any like that social capital thing is going on there big and so if you can notice, ooh, somebody's doing something that's new and different. And by the way, I'm a little uncomfortable with it, but wait, it's a good thing. Talking through that experience and naming all the aspects of that and you know, encouraging it, as you said, turns out to be really valuable. Yeah, yeah. So to track sort of where I think we've been on this, we're talking about when we're in a group that is trying to do something that is at odds, with the the larger norms of the cultures that we've come from the organizations we've had uh, been part of in the past the other experiences we've had when we want to do something that is different right that we want to uh to be collaborative we want to have a different attitude around and behaviors around sharing and receiving we want to create a learning organization any of those types of things we have to recognize that it is at odds with our past experience in our larger culture and we have to recognize that just saying that we want it isn't going to get it that we're going to be bringing things from that that past experience and that larger culture in that we have to expect that and we need to prepare for it right and we need to recognize that those come from deep patterns and stories we've told ourselves around what these things mean and and how we are supposed to be once we can sort of recognize what those are both individually and also collectively like both individually and in my, in myself, but also in the larger group, 
then we can start to see where are the edges of that behavior? What's the behavior we want to be getting that we might not be getting? And how do we start to encourage that when we see it? Because stepping outside of those bounds um, that we have been, that we've lived in for so long is scary. It's vulnerable. It's a risk. And the way that we get more of that and we get more of that shift is by encouraging and appreciating when people are actually doing that, when they're actually uh, when they're actually living the way that we say we want them to, that we all want to, because that's the thing that starts to help us shift those stories and makes those behaviors easier and easier and easier as we move into the future. Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. Until next time, I'm Karen Gimnig. And I'm Paul Tevis. And this has been Employing Differences. Mm -hmm.